Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to the Depre and Club podcast, a community of like-minded young adults who are all grieving a similar loss. I'm Catherine Hooker and I speak with inspirational people from all over the world whose lives have been impacted from losing a parent at a young age. In this podcast, our guests will tell their own grief story, discussing how their losses have impacted their lives and the past they found themselves on. We laugh, we cry, but together we've come to realise that we are far from alone in our own grief journeys. You hear about these stages of grief and I know this is something that everyone, everyone kind of learns I guess through popular culture and all the rest of it when you're growing up, you hear about these five stages of grief or whatever they are and they don't tell you that those stages of grief like go on a cycle every half an hour to an hour. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Dead Parent Club podcast. I hope you're all well. So on this week's episode, I have James Matthewson on the podcast. He lost his mum, Teresa, just over eight months ago, and it was just a few days before our first national lockdown in the UK. In this episode, we talk about the repercussions of losing someone at the beginning of a lockdown, when he was unable to organise a funeral, and how he actually found comfort in this. James also talks about the physical side effects of his grief, and how the new normal charity meetups have been a real source of comfort for him. James also has mild Asperger's syndrome and the loss of his mum has made his loss feel even more significant as she played such a huge role in his life while navigating it. James is honestly such a lovely person and just from talking to him for an hour I can tell that he's going to do so much good with his grief and he's going to be like a real source and pillar of hope for so many people. So I have no doubt that you're going to love this episode just as much as I loved recording it. Also guys, just a heads up, I'll be recording this week's Christmas special very shortly where I'll be sharing your best memories from this year that you wish you could share with your loved ones. Find out more in the show notes and drop me an email if you'd like to get involved. Thank you and I hope you all have a lovely week. Okay, well, first of all, James, obviously, thank you very much in advance for your time and for coming on to the podcast. Um, I'm super excited for this conversation. And even just from talking to you for the last like 10 minutes, I can just tell you're going to be really just like open and just have a really unique insight into this kind of crazy loss and this crazy year that you've had. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners who you are where you're from um and then we can dive right into your story absolutely well thank you for having me um 
I've been a big fan of uh, Death's <laughs> Club for, for a while, which isn't something I thought I would say about seven, eight months ago, <laughs> to be honest. Um, my name's James Matthewson, and I'm, I lost my mum, Teresa, about, I think it's eight months now, just coming up eight months mm. um, this year. So still quite a fresh, still quite a raw thing. Um, and like I say, the, you know, as I was mentioning to you before, kind of getting involved with um, the, the grief community, if you like, the, the community that you never want to be a part of, <laughs> but, you, but you, uh, you are a part of, um, is, mm. is a very new thing for me. But finding, yeah. you know, Dead Parents Club and, and many others as well has been a source of, of reassurance and comfort so far. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, like the Dead Parent Club wouldn't be what it is without people like you that come on to share your story, because that's what this whole platform's about. So, um, you know, I really appreciate you coming on. And I know that it's not the easiest thing to talk about, um, and especially as you lost your mum, you know, so recently and during such a turbulent year, like I myself cannot even imagine, but there are going to be so many other people in like a similar circumstance to you this year. And I think, you know, interviewing people like you who have lost somebody this year despite it being so usually I wouldn't interview people that have lost somebody so recently um just because I do think it's important to have some time but I think it's such an exceptional circumstance this year and I feel like there needs to be stuff out there that people like you that have lost somebody during this year can relate to um so yeah you know I, I really do appreciate you doing it so so soon so obviously you know you did lose your mum, Teresa, just eight months ago, which is so recent. But would you mind telling our listeners a bit more about her and about your story? Yeah, so um, basically to to kind of start at, at the beginning, which is a good place. Um, <laughs> I was born in 1994. My mum was 41 years old at the time, which was pretty um, unusual. I think she'd been advised mm. against keeping uh, the baby several Gosh. times. Um, good for she, her. Yeah, yeah, that was something that you know she was just like, no, I'm, I'm rolling with it. Um, my mum, my dad were, you know, hadn't known each other for a huge amount of time. I don't think. Um, they lived together, and we grew up in a town in the northeast called Annick, um, which is about thirty miles north of Newcastle. I still live in the area now. Um, and my mum had been born in 1953 and lived her whole life in the town. She had. Um, you know, a pretty big family, uh, all local people. And oh. my, my grandma and granda, you know, raised her. And yeah, she, she, had, I'd watched her kind of when I grew up, I'd, I'd watched her as a single parent after her and my dad split up, um, you know, do incredible things that I think mm-hmm. when you become an adult, you, you get a grasp even more so how incredible mm. they are. I think as a child, you appreciate these things and the sacrifices and the, you know, all the effort that your parents make, but you don't really appreciate them on the level of, of understanding just how yeah. much goes into it. Um, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's something I've, everyone I've spoken to who's lost a parent has this new sense of, of gratitude that comes with the grief, I think. <laughs> You're just like, holy shit, how did you do everything? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're crazy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then especially when you think of, you know, I remember being 15 and my granddad dying and I was upset, you know, I was really close to my granddad, you know, but it wasn't anywhere near the grief that, uh, the kind of earth-shattering, you know, kind of everything changing kind of experience that I've had with the loss of of my mum 
Um, mm. And, you know, you can only imagine at the time she lost her dad and her mum within a couple of years of each other and then, you know, was raising me as well. Um, she met my stepdad um, when I was around, I think, about nine or ten years old. So it was just us up until that point. I had two sisters that she had from a previous marriage. Um, so kind of two half-sisters who were about 20 years older than me. Wow, um, like extra parents then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, extra hands to help out when they were mm. back from university and stuff. So, you know, I was kind of, I wasn't an only child, but I kind of was. Um, yeah. You know, raised by three women and... Um, <laughs> you know, so, you okay. lucky man. <laughs> a pretty, pretty wild time um, growing up and stuff. But yeah, it was always... You know, never wanted for anything. Um, mm. And actually, it wasn't until we lost mum recently that I'd been talking to my stepdad. And he'd said when he met her, um, when I was around nine years old, she'd said to him, you know, from the start, just so you're clear, like, James comes first. Like, he's oh. my priority. And, like, just knowing that she was looking out for me that whole time, you know, was incredibly yeah. powerful. So, yeah, we got up until, I mean, just fast forwarding through through the years, the the torment of the teenage years that I would have put her through that now, you know, uh, I think a lot of people... Oh, I cringe. I look back and I cringe and I'm just like, I'm so sorry, Mum, and it annoys me that I don't have the time to make up for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. And you just want to think, just think, what were you playing at? Like, mm-hmm. the time that you had, like... That time you were, you know, a nightmare or that time you were doing something stupid, and you, you know, she would have been worried about you. What were you playing at? But, mm. you know, you wouldn't, you, you can't view everything through that prism, I guess. And, you know, life is like that, isn't it? You don't appreciate what you've got until it's gone sometimes, especially yeah. when you're an obnoxious little teenager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, you know, had had some great times and then, my, I met my partner and we moved out when I was around 17 years old. And, you know, mum supported us through everything, Aww. you know, whether it be, you know, kind of just needing a lift somewhere last minute, um, bad planning, running out of money, <laughs> all that normal stuff. Um, and then, yeah, we, yeah, we, we kind of um, settled into our life together. And it was in March this year. So we're talking just before the lockdown. It was a literal days before the lockdown. I'd had my birthday on the 13th, um, which had been Mother's Day at the time in 1994 when I was born, actually. Um, and, yeah, I'd had my birthday, my partner's birthday is the day after, so we'd had that as well. Um, and then on the 20th, um, yeah, I got, a, I got a phone call from the night before. We would talk, I would say, probably on average at least twice a day, if not more. Oh three four times a day on the phone um i was always talking to her um and you know she rang me to say she didn't feel great she had uh she was breathless you know obviously there'd been all the stuff about covid on the on the news so you know she was anxious but she was um a trait that she passed on to me unfortunately you know as being quite health anxious and mm. you know kind of you know being anxious about her health a lot so you know we reassured her that it, she would be fine and it was yeah. just being just anxiety or whatever playing up from the news you know as we headed towards a lockdown yeah and um yeah the next morning um I stepped around me just to say that she was you know he was she wasn't well she'd fallen over she'd collapsed in the morning um and he was going to take her to the hospital um 
So, yeah, and then I got a phone call saying another one at, the, at about half past eight in the morning saying that she'd fought, she, well, she'd got worse, so he called an ambulance and they were going to head to the hospital and that he was going to follow them down. Um, what then happened from my perspective was I got a phone call half an hour later um, and it was one of those phone calls that you just like, I, I mean, I, I will never ever forget um, yeah. was just answering the phone and just that that silence and then hearing my stepdad you know crying which is something I'd never heard before and just realizing in that moment that you know the worst worst had pro- you know you know what had happened the thing that you thought couldn't happen had happened mm. and um yeah it was kind of like a nightmare from from there on in, I think the the next three weeks at least were just a blur. Um, I'm incredibly lucky to have you know amazing support of fiance who was just you know there for me throughout and you know getting me up and out of bed, making sure I was getting in the shower, all that stuff like that yeah. that I don't remember now. Which they, become, really... they become so hard to do, don't they? Like, yeah, you just, just don't think about things. it. You don't yeah. think that that you're gonna need. Do you know? What I mean, a hand or you know, kind of just getting up and getting out of bed. Um, mm-hmm. I've never been somebody who's like that. And just the, the fragility of it and kind of being so, I don't know, just shaken at the whole thing. Obviously, there was the shock. Um, I think immediately my reaction on the day, now that I can kind of look back and unpack it, um, I, was on a, I was on a work call at the time when I got the phone call. I was on a video call, oh, um, which obviously I just paused and walked away from. Um my, my stepdad explained that what had happened was um, he had sent my mum outside with the, the ambulance crew who came. They took our blood pressure. It was incredibly low, which was, <laughs> you know, I, could, I almost imagine I'm laughing about that because it was <laughs> never, Always ever low. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was never low. So she, um, they they took her in the ambulance on the driveway. And they, li- they live in the middle of nowhere, so... Um, yeah, the ambulance in the drive, and they said, just follow us down in half an hour or something. You know, they weren't that bothered. Mm. And um, the ambulance didn't move off the drive, and he said he stood inside for about half an hour. And then a second ambulance turned up, um, and then they came to the door and asked for, you know, do you have any papers of non-resuscitation? <gasps> and, um, you know, my stepdad had said, well, what are, you, what, what, what are you on about? He said, oh, she's... Um, you know, she's gone to cardiac arrest, so we need to, you know, know if that. And he said, no, absolutely not. You know, you need to bring her back. And then the guy came out about 15, 20 minutes later and just said, I'm really sorry. You know, we've we've tried everything. Um, so, so she was on the driveway in the ambulance? Yeah, yeah, she passed away in oh. the in the ambulance on the driveway. Um, oh. They never even got out of the out of the, uh, the the kind of farm that they live on, the farm area. So, mm-hmm. yeah, just, yeah, I mean, what it had been, been a pulmonary embolism, which um, we, yeah, I, th- there was like almost like a second grief. So we had that experience first, and then, and then there was about two weeks or three weeks later, it was a really long time, it felt like the longest time ever, and we were waiting for the coroner's report. Yeah, and I just remember him saying he couldn't print it because they were all working from home because of lockdown, oh. and he didn't have ink cartridges. 
So oh, he couldn't print the death certificate. And I was just thinking this, you couldn't make this up, honestly. Um, and she, yeah, what, what it turned out was that this pulmonary embolism had been a blood clot in her leg. Um, and as soon as I heard that, it was like a punch to the gut because a week before she had been to the doctors complaining about swelling in her leg. Oh. Um, and she couldn't get an appointment with the doctor because um, of the whole COVID stuff. And yeah. they said, could you see a nurse? So she saw a nurse and the nurse just said, that's likely to just be a rash, just oh, swelling. God. And that had been a, uh, that blood clot had obviously dislodged and then killed her um, a week later. So, yeah, and I, I think that was, that was kind of the moment where you're like, right, so this was entirely avoidable. Yeah. Um, we could have spotted it and known about it, but when you get into that kind of thinking, you know, as you know, you said, you, it's you, a dark rabbit hole, isn't it? Exactly. There's nothing you can do when you get into that kind of thinking. So it's just better not to, to be honest. I had um, I had a similar situation with my mum where um, when she was first diagnosed with bowel cancer when I was 16, she'd actually been to the doctors many times over the previous like six to 12 months complaining of like stomach pain and some of the other symptoms that come with bowel cancer and um the doctors had brushed her off numerous times and it's it's one of them where you think oh if they'd caught it sooner may not have had such a chance of spreading and blah yeah. blah but it is such a dark rabbit hole to go down and it's one of them where you can't change what's happened can you um, no exactly and the anger i think that you get from that you know i had um i mean i had a huge amount of anger afterwards but i mean i never mm-hmm. never directed it at at the healthcare professionals at the end of the day you can't it, it you know and i wrote a letter actually i kind of i said to my partner at the time i need to do i'm, I'm really I'm really angry about this. I'm yeah. really angry about just the fact that I didn't stop it. I didn't, and it was all about control. So you know, yeah. I, I did what I could do, which you know wasn't much because I think that's the thing when you when you told somebody's died, you know, you know, as opposed to dying, um, you know, you're told that they've already died, and your body kind of goes into the right. How do we react? How do we? How, how do we, we fix? Yeah, how do we, how do we fix, fix it? How do we stop it happening? And it's like, well, it's already happened. You can't. Mm. There's nothing you can do. I can't. I can't help my mum, and that's you know she's helped me however many times at the drop of a hat, mm. and I can't do anything to help her. Yeah, um, I've already missed the opportunity, and you know it's all that. So what I did was I tried to be proactive, and I I wrote an article because I, I do a lot of writing. And I wrote some bits and pieces down, and I wrote. Um, I wrote a letter to the uh, ambulance trust and asked them to to pass it on to the paramedics who had been oh. on duty and obviously had the case number and stuff. Um, and yeah, basically, I just wanted to let them know that it because they don't find out what it was. Of you know, they, course, you know they they just respond to a call. So they had thought somebody had gone into cardiac arrest and they had failed to resuscitate her. And, Aww. you know, my stepdad had told me one of the paramedics was actually really upset. He was, you know, on the verge of tears because he'd said to the police officer who turned up, you know, I've had three cardiac arrests in the last week I've responded to and I've resuscitated everyone fine. Um, what he didn't know is that obviously with a pulmonary embolism, there's a blood clot um, blocking yeah. the artery, so it's impossible. There's no way yeah. to um, to deal with that. Um, 
So, yeah, I just kind of wanted them to know that, that actually they, they hadn't failed or they hadn't, you know, that actually what they'd done was would have been enough in a normal circumstance, but there was nothing that's they could so, do. That's so kind of you, though. Um, it's just so that... Yeah, you I, don't I, really think about it, do you? Like, no, that was happening all the time. No, no, you, you don't think about it, but then you think, actually, if you're in that position, it must be awful yeah. as a paramedic. But then also at the same time, you know, I was doing it selfishly as well, contact. Yeah. I wanted to do anything and anything to try and just to try and be involved. I mean, from mm. cremation papers, from, I mean, organising the cremation, organising any, anything I could do like that, you know, I, I did just to try and feel some sense of control, I think. Um, looking back, and yeah, just, obviously there's nothing you can do to make up for it, but it, it did help me in those first few weeks. Yeah, well, I mean, so obviously your your mum died at the beginning of what was a very very long lockdown period, and during a year where we haven't been able to see the people that we would rely on the most. Um, it's like, how do you think that that has impacted your your like grieving process, and who have you turned to for support? And like, I'd love to know whether you think you would have grieved differently had the lockdown not have happened. Yeah, yeah, um, I think I think I would have, um, and I think it would have been a completely different situation. Um, yeah, I. This it does sound awful saying this, and I said this to someone the other day, and I thought actually that sounds really bad, but you know, it's, it's, you it, <laughs> I've said worse, I promise. It is the truth, so you know, you can't be that bad. But at the end of the day, I I really feel like I got off lightly, not having a funeral, mm. and not having to go to a funeral. Mm. Um, I know some people feel like that that is the opposite for them, that they need to go to a funeral. I would have felt that if if there was one happening, um, as a result, because of the circumstances, the crematoriums were actually full in the northeast. Wow. Um, so they had to take our body elsewhere. Um, and, yeah, organising all of that and, and stuff, I really feel like I, at the, at the time, had I had to go through a funeral to sit in the same room as a coffin or the rest of it, I just feel like I would have... It, it would have been more traumatic than anything for me. Um, yeah. But at the same time, that impact did take longer to to settle in. I mean, I remember having a conversation on the phone one day with the funeral care place. And so they'd taken our body to uh, the hospital um, after she'd passed away in the ambulance. And so the the next few days, because my stepdad was in pieces, and obviously we were, we it was just me and my partner trying to do everything. My stepdad's sister, more or less, and then my mum's sisters on the phone as well. But they were all shielding because they're you know over the age of seventy. Oh yeah. Um. So we were kind of like trying to put everything together, and I was there was one point I was like, "Where is she? I don't I don't actually know where she is." Oh yeah. Um. You know, I've I've lost my mum in one sense, but I've you know, I've lost, I've lost oh, my job. And um, yeah, we, tried, we obviously found out where she, where she was at this hospital in North Tyneside. And then, yeah, I remember speaking to the funeral place and this is the weirdest experience, but the talk in, so the talk about the person or this place did anyway, as if they're like alive. So like, oh, I, 
I've always I was raised as an atheist by my mum, like or as an agnostic. I'm not religious in the slightest. She always said, like, I, I don't want to be buried. So, you know, it's a, it's a scary situation. The idea that you think you could wake mm-hmm. up buried alive or whatever. Yeah. Just get me cremated and that's that. Bodies don't matter. Bodies are, <laughs> matter, you know. Um, so I'd always had that same attitude. So to me, I was like, this is my mother's body, you know, that I'm entrusted to somebody. It's not, you know, while it's something I want to get done properly, it's not my mum. I'm not viewing it as such. Yeah. And that was easier to get it done. But this this lady on the phone, she gets it. So where's um? So where's mum now? You know, and questions like that. And you'd be like, well, well, she's at, at the hospital, right? And is she ready to be collected? And like it oh. just it threw me, and I was like, well, no. And I think I I made a joke along the lines of like, no, she's got to get her hair done first or something, or she got a few other <laughs> errands to run in town, and like. Obviously, it was just deadpan that the, the woman didn't get it, but I just found it the most bizarre thing ever. That you know, and then it it did take those few days to sink in and be like, "Oh, this is, this is my mum." Like, yeah, I'm not just dealing with a leftover something. Like, this is my mum. And then I had mixed feelings about the cremation. I was thinking, like, is this really? Am I? I'm authorizing this. Is this the right thing? Like, it's a lot of pressure to you know, to kind of decide, even though you know what she wanted and stuff. So, yeah, it was, it, I think, I think had lockdown not happened, had she been able to be cremated in the Northeast and, you know, not transported elsewhere, had we attended that in normal circumstances, mm. um, I think it would have hit me harder and hit me quicker. Yeah. Whether that would have been helpful to me, I don't know, um, but you know, I've definitely I've come to terms with it, but it's taken longer because I didn't have that that kind of that culmination in a funeral. But I suppose it's I suppose it's also kind of psychologically we've been brought up where like somebody dies and then it's the funeral, exactly, and then and then. The, to be fair, nobody ever talked about after the funeral, did they? Because nobody ever, nobody actually ever tells you how unbelievably shit grieving is. But um, but like that's what must have been odd. It's like you kind of missed a step and you went straight into the kind of long term grieving process. Whereas I feel like between a death and a funeral, it's more trauma. Oh yeah, and chaos yeah. trying to organise, and then it's the long term grieving of like trauma okay day really really bad day yeah kind of okay for a bit <laughs> that's it right. exactly and i feel like i got got off lightly in a sense and then but also missed out on something in another sense and we still haven't had anything we've not had think, we had a, do you think a, you will do you think yeah, you're hoping to, yeah. hoping to in, in uh spring actually 2021 so we've got our ashes back <laughs> via um fedex wow which was interesting um yeah. I don't think the guy knew what he was trying, <laughs> what he was delivering either. Um, Trucked it over to you. Here you go. I mean, well, I'm just it wasn't Hermes, yeah, because they'd hoid it through. Oh the, my the god! Can you imagine? Yeah. Left it outside for a few <laughs> yeah, hours. Exactly, yeah. But oh I was god. like, yeah. So we got them back, and they're with my stepdad, and yeah, you, we we want to obviously have something. Uh, ideally, we've got a woodland burial plot where you bury the ashes and there's a Love tree that. and it helps the tree mm-hmm. grow and all the rest so that, that's what she really wanted um so you know having 
made that work for for spring. Hopefully, we'll get together. But I haven't. I mean, it's been eight months, and I haven't seen any family member other than my stepdad. I haven't seen. Yeah, I know it's crazy. I've spoken to people on the phone, but I have not seen in person any of my mum's family since she died. Uh, Are you quite? How do you feel about when you eventually see them? Just because I know that for me, whenever I see my family, it kind of makes the loss a lot more real and yeah. permanent again. Um, yeah, definitely. And I, I feel do, like you know, it's quite scary. It's quite daunting to, yeah, have, that's, still, to still have that in front of you. That is something I'm scared about, and and you know, feel like that's a, a, a something. I mean, people like my, you know, my aunties, mum's sisters, and stuff. You know, when I see them it'll just you know i've never seen them without her so yeah yeah that'll be uh that'll be really strange um and just yeah just trying to you view everything in this and i don't know if you've done this as well but you view everything in this like before mum after mum yeah. type you yeah, know massively. way um mm-hmm. so like before mum me was completely different to you know after mum me i'm i'm a completely different person now what i feel like i am anyway Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Um, mm. to a point where I was concerned that because of the lockdown, I didn't get to see friends. And the first time we saw friends when that first lockdown ended, I was like, are these people still going to like me? Are these oh. are still friends with these people? Are these, do you know, yeah. I, like, you reevaluate like, everything. still going to like them. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Am I still, yeah. like, am I like, and yeah. And then obviously hearing friends talk about their parents, I mean, you know, they're not insensitive. They're not <laughs> immediately mm. meeting up with you and being like, oh, I did this for my parents, but. You know, when you settle back into this new normal kind of situation, yeah, yeah, you, you kind of think, yeah, and I do hear things about the parents, or you hear friends talk about the parents, or things they're doing, or Christmas, or or whatever, and you know, it just it's like it, it's a kick in the gut. Some days yeah. it makes you sad, where you just want to cry, and other days, you know, it just really, really annoys you. <laughs> like that actually, like never goes away yeah. ever. Um, I'm like over, over, you know, over five years down the line, and sometimes I actually have to take myself out of the room, and I feel awful when I do because I know that they know why I'm leaving. But sometimes I can't sit there if they're if they're having a big conversation about each of their parents or something each of their parents does. Yeah, um, it happens more, doesn't it? Like getting for like friends, all my friends are like the same age as me, like twenty six, twenty seven. So like, I feel like getting into this stage of life, like they're all forging closer relationships with their parents yeah, yeah, um, 
exactly. <laughs> it's like I hate really, them all for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a really bad time. Uh, I think the worst is hearing anybody complain about a parent, though. That's mm. gonna be the that's gonna be the big kick in the gut. You kind of think, just shut up. Like honestly, yeah. man, there's no point in complaining about them. Yeah, but look, nobody ever knows how lucky they are until it's taken away from them, and that's that is the most frustrating thing. And it's something that I try and educate my friends on as well. Like. Guys, you're very lucky. <laughs> you just can't get it, can you? You can't you can't really understand. I think that was the thing with me that the grief took me by surprise. And obviously there was shock combined with grief, combined with like mm. this kind of questioning of reality and combined with the lockdown and global pandemic and all the rest of it <laughs> coming at the, the same show. time. Yeah, you were like, This this isn't real. This absolutely is not real. Like this is the stuff that happens in films. And yeah. Um, yeah, we had all that, and then just the the kind of nights of uh, like I, I guess what took me with grief was like the physical symptoms that I just could not have foreseen at all that nobody told me about. So like you hear about these stages of grief, and I know this is something that everyone everyone kind of learns, I guess through popular culture and. All the rest of it, when you're growing up, you hear about these five stages of grief or whatever they are, and you know you you're like, oh well, maybe I'm feeling that. Like they don't tell you that those stages of grief like go on a cycle every mm. half an hour to an hour, <laughs> and you're like, oh, what do you mean? Like, why am I angry now? I was mm. crying five minutes ago, and like now I'm just utterly heartbroken. And I think the the physical symptoms were the biggest shock. Um, just like the pain, like physical yeah. pain in your body, and you're thinking, yeah. "God Almighty, like what? What is this? Is there something wrong with me? Have I got an illness now? Yeah. Or, like, <laughs> oh God, there's a pandemic going. I'm definitely going to die next. And mm. you know, what the hell is this pain in my teeth? Like, why are my teeth hurt? And, you know, I think it's just it really does manifest itself physically, definitely. Yeah, and th- th- this like, I've had anxiety since I was like 16 you know I've, I've experienced anxiety a lot of times I know what it feels like and this felt nothing like it but it was a constant tightness in my chest that I could not could not get rid of um could, couldn't fall asleep without it couldn't wake up without it and that, I've got it I've got it now you just you talking yeah. about this yeah because like, it does come back doesn't it when you acknowledge it and it's right there in your chest um and that's why things like you know Dead Parents Club and, and there's been some other great I mean I was really lucky to find um I've mentioned mentioned to you before mm-hmm. the new normal charity. Yeah, amazing uh, guys. Yeah, guys over there, Ben and Jack and um and, and their good grief sessions. So mm-hmm. they're, they're like I was like, I'm just gonna do this. It I think it was like four weeks in or something, five weeks in that wow. I lost mum. And I was like, I'm gonna do this because I need to do something like I had a huge amount of time on my hands. There mm. wasn't people around me molly coddling me. There wasn't because nobody could see me. There was, do you know what I mean? So I was like, mm. I'm going to just do this on my own and I'm going to speak to other people and see what it's like. Just for reference, for anybody listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, um, it's pointing in the right direction. So The New Normal is a charity and they host regular kind of online grief meetups um, for like, well, there's men only ones now, isn't there as well? Yeah, um, absolutely. And there's like group sessions, and um, there's black and brown, um, good grief meetups as well. 
and it's basically just an amazing space for people to like connect and talk about their loss together um and you can find them on instagram it is just the new normal normal charity um yeah just so anybody listening knows what we're talking about (laughs) and i couldn't honestly couldn't recommend them enough but i mean everyone is different you know their experience is different but going on there and and just listening to everyone else and there was people on there in this group session that I first joined and i was like this is, this is ridiculous this is gonna be like gonna be like the movies gonna be like bonus. <laughs> yeah oh this is gonna be so depressing um and i went on and i was excited the second people started talking i felt excitement i was like why am i feeling excited this is morbid and then i was like actually it's because i'm hearing my experience it was like a sense of relief that came over me and i was like i can i was hearing the exact experiences i was having on my own inside my head mm. um at two o'clock in the morning um i think c.s lewis called it the uh the the mad midnight hour um <laughs> you know kind of where you wake up and you're like in this different world between you know midnight and like three o'clock in the morning and um there were people just talking about it and they were talking yeah. about it with such ease and comfort. I was like, oh, my God, this is normal. And humour um, as well. I yeah, mean, humor's a big part. Because <laughs> yeah, it it, it's, it's so strange. And, um, and you know, there's things like that I've watched since, like, Ricky Gervais' Afterlife and stuff like that. And, you know, I know it's had Amazing. mixed reviews, but, I mean, I loved it. Um, I loved it. I just, just honestly just – my mum was a very, very funny person. Like she had a great sense of humor. She was always laughing about stuff. And that's what sticks with me um, Mm. now thinking about it. And, you know, I don't, I'm not spiritual. I don't, I'm not religious, but I can hear her in my head, you know, commenting on stuff about my day. Um, You know, (laughs) this kind of like uh, laughing at stuff that I know she would find funny. Um and I was in that meeting, that first meeting, and there's a, a lad on there, one of the, the lads who set it up, Ben. Um he was a barber from uh, from London. Um and he's a he's a he's a cool guy. Um and he, he was just talking about the loss of his dad. And he mentioned that, you know, had somebody told something somebody had told him about how actually, you know, how, how do you feel distant from from that person what's it like being miles away from you know not having them around and actually the the response that he'd heard this person give was that actually they're closer to me than ever before i just need to think about them and and they're with me and as somebody who growing up i'd heard like you know i've been to catholic masses and on a regular basis and death was like a very grim thing that you didn't you know he didn't really talk about um that was just so refreshing you know, hearing somebody say, actually, that person's with you when you think about them. Um, and it helped me reframe my perspective of where my mum was because that was a big thing for me as an atheist. I was like, right, where's my mum? Well, she no longer exists. Uh, that's quite a thing to get your head around. You know, somebody who you love and care about and who has loved you so intensely from the moment you were born no longer exists is a very very difficult notion to wrap your head around so all of a sudden that this idea that i'm carrying her with me and you know i know what she would think about this i know what she would be saying about that well that person sent a card with our condolences she's got some cheek 
you know, that, <laughs> <laughs> all that kind of thing. Um, and it just really helped me reframe everything, to be honest. Yeah, I bet. I bet. It's so interesting, isn't it, to hear about it? Absolutely. And just to hear other people's experiences at different stages, like you say, five years on, you know, and you've got a, you know, you've been through, you know, similar things, if not everything I've been through and, but you do, everyone does it at different times. And I feel like there's different, you know, kind of progressions and, you know, people's Mm -hmm. journeys are different. So I think keeping in touch with that group will help me throughout anniversaries as we approach um, different times throughout the year. So Christmas, like, obviously is going to be a... um, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's just one of them things, isn't it? Christmas is just going to be difficult for everyone. Um, We call it Merry Shipmas now. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) But um, and it's especially hard because I absolutely love Christmas. Like, Christmas is my favourite time of year. So I've got this really weird conflict inside me now where I'm excited. I want to put the tree mm. up. Um, I want to put a movie on. And, I, you know, I did it the other day and I was like, I'm going to put a Christmas film on and do it. And I did it. And, like, within five minutes, I was just like, I can't hack this. Um, you know, I, I watched this with my mum a million times. And I just know that's going to be a feature throughout Christmas. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of the, one of those things that you kind of have to adapt to over time. Because um, unfortunately, we can't avoid it, can we? <laughs> it happens every year, and um, you just kind of find your own your own groove with all of them, really. Like birthdays, Christmas, death anniversaries, all of it. I think every year they're a little bit different. And they change. Yeah, I think just hearing hearing that and hearing that people ahead of you have been through it as well. Mm. and they're still there as well as you know because you've got that tendency to um catastrophize everything in those mm. initial stages you know if if you're if, if your mum like who or, or the person who's the closest to you in the world who you know looks for the monsters under your bed you know kind of does everything for you will will drive in one case for me i think 120 miles to pick you up when you've got on the wrong train um, you know, uh, I did have to pay her back for the petrol money. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of selflessness. She wasn't a pushover. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you, that kind of selflessness, and you just think, you know, if that's, you know, if that's gone and that's not part of my life anymore, it's it's a huge it's a huge um thing to try and deal with and, and unpack and I think throughout you know but knowing that people like yourself and others who actually are speaking out about it not just on one-off occasions but throughout the year you know like oh mm. like it's a random Saturday and I'm having <laughs> a bad day do you know what I mean that I'm having a, happens to me a lot <laughs> yeah exactly you just have them bad ones where you're like you know it is I'm just in a right mood today and I'm not happy about it at all and I'm feeling very griefy yeah griefy yeah exactly it comes comes and goes and you know some days some days I honestly it's really weird but I'm like ready to conquer the world Mm. you know I've got this inspirational mother who you know raised me and I'm gonna do it for her and all the rest of it I can go out I can conquer anything the next day I'm like you know it is everything sucks like this is and those changes in mood are just something uh, something we have to get used to, I guess. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, before we kind of, I get to like my kind of final question. I know that um, on the like guest submission questionnaire thing that I sent out, you mentioned that you do have mild Asperger's syndrome, and yes, I feel like you know your mum must, with you being an only child for so long, um, well not only child, but feeling like an only child because you're so much younger than your sisters, um, she must have been a huge support for you when you got that diagnosis and even like over the over the years grown into adulthood as well you know and how that's affected your life so how do you think that's going to kind of affect your your life now like not having her there yeah I've I've looked everywhere to be honest with you um in the first few months as I was kind of looking for more grief related literature or anything I could try and you know read to try and take up time I think um you know and I looked for stuff specific to to Asperger's to autistic spectrum disorders and you know all, all sorts of stuff that you know anything that would be related to grief and that and I really struggled to find anything to be honest um yeah and yeah I, I mean speaking to my partner about it you know has always known I've got my old Asperger's but like my mum raised me not like I mean she worked out it was Asperger's I think when I was like 10, um, yeah. I, you know, I was an absolute nightmare at school because I either knew everything or didn't want to know anything. Um, <laughs> you know, she would like, she would have to come and get me because maths teachers would refuse to teach me because, you know, I would be, I would just argue with them about how pointless mm-hmm. algebra was and how actually I'm not going to use it at all outside of school. So I'm not going to learn it. I mean, you weren't wrong. Weird, I so. wasn't wrong. I'm, and I've never <laughs> been wrong. And that's a <laughs> <laughs> that drives me mad um and yeah absolutely and she i don't know she managed to to build this relationship with me where she communicated with me directly and in the way that nobody else could or would and yeah. you know it wasn't easy we had times where you know we would you know have fallouts and whatever and as a young kid i would have meltdowns and you know, sensory things were like an issue, so too much noise or too much, you know, whatever, like cardboard boxes being scrunched up in the supermarket or anything. I would have to go and wait in the car, all that kind of stuff. Um, And she adapted to this, you know, as a single mum and just, uh, like, absolutely managed to, you know, throw away the book. She she learned a way, she she must have learned how to, to get onto my level and yeah. reach me in a way that nobody else could. So whether it was issues with teachers or school, she would mediate, she would come in, she would, you know, basically tell me what they were saying because, I, you know, like I... Yeah, people, in a way that you would understand and exactly, acknowledge yeah. and appreciate. Yeah. yeah, in a way that I otherwise would just get frustrated at human beings being typically human and not saying the things they actually mean when they mean other yeah. things. And yeah. um, she would, uh, you know, she would kind of reassure me and you know, always kind of, and she'd tell me when I was wrong, tell me why I was wrong, all that kind of stuff, you know, mm. when things were very black and white in my mind, she would kind of fill those gray areas in for me. And yeah, she's given you so many of the, the skills that you need to this day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And right up to, you know, March, I was working in politics. And um, <laughs> everyone would be thinking, like, oh, my God, what's somebody, you know, with Asperger's doing? Nobody ever says what they mean in politics. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you're like, honestly, 
uh, there was times where I would just ring it and be like, right, this is this is a situation. Um, this is what this person's saying. This is what this person's saying. Am I right to be saying this? Like, because mm. this is what I feel. And she would say, yeah, that's totally understandable, blah, blah, blah. Or she would say, no, look, you need to consider that this person thinks this because of this. Or, and she, I would just bounce stuff off her like that constantly. Um, so when I lost, obviously, as soon as I lost her, there was also the, the serious panic in my mind mm. of there's now nobody who can communicate with me and the world. There's no go-between. Yeah. Um, and that's just like a, that it compounded that feeling of, of being lost and being a lost little boy. You know, I was 26 and you know, I still feel like a lost little boy if I think about, you know, not having her. But my partner, to be fair, who was incredibly close with my mom as well, um, you know, she was really close to my mom um, and had a great relationship. She kind of, you know, knew exactly how my mum did it and she she she's the same now so like you know I mean there's not many examples because I'm not you know I think it's worse as a kid but there's things I were you know crowds and things like that that I'll avoid um but it's also because your mum's given you those skills and that knowledge like yeah not here anymore like you're still who you are because of the things that she's taught you how to cope and how to analyze situations which I think is lovely because that is something really tangible that she's given you, isn't it, for the rest of your life? Exactly, because I could have just been, honestly, there's there's so many um, people with Asperger's or different autistic conditions who, you know, don't leave the house because their anxieties are that high because they, they don't feel like they can communicate properly with people. Um, they get into conflict, conflict or confrontation because, you know, people will not understand what they're trying to say or they're not trying to, you know, um, I mean, you just look at somebody like Greta Thunberg or, you know, yeah. you know, she's had huge issues trying to communicate a very basic message to people. Absolutely. Yeah. You'd think it would be simple to grasp, but no. Uh, yeah. She, and, and stuff like that. I just feel like the parental roles in that sense, she's the same with her parents, you know, kind of do a lot of communicating for her and with her. And yeah, having my mum taught me those things, you know, are incredible. But I've got so many great memories that, you know, <laughs> just thinking now from her perspective of, you know, being called into school because I, I'd overheard my grandma told me that he was the first man who landed on the moon, <laughs> um, as grandparents do. And I oh, had no. taken that literally. To a point where we were taught in school that this Neil Armstrong bloke, who obviously was a pretender in my mind, you know, I'm, I'm like thinking, like, who was Neil Armstrong? What you know, Neil Armstrong was my granddad, who was the first man on the moon. And like, I argued I was blue in the face with this teacher. I must have been like eight years old. And um, to a point where I ended up getting That's kicked amazing. out of the classroom. You know, she. You know, she I mean, she was like, she taught me nuance and taught me, you know, that when people say things, they don't always mean things. And yeah, and honestly, with, and, and I'm hugely grateful for that, but it does make the loss feel uh, even more of a loss. Yeah, definitely. I can imagine. Um, especially when she played such a huge role in your life, like that is huge. Um, but God bless her. I mean, look at you. You're smashing it. <laughs> well, honestly, like I wouldn't be able to to talk on a podcast or anything if it wasn't for her. So I'll always be grateful. Yeah, you uh, you have a good a good mum. I mean, 
what a blessing. Um, my final question for you is, what would you say to other people who have lost a parent very suddenly recently and um, and are in a similar similar situation to you where, you know, we're in a lockdown at the moment? What would you say to them? I would say, first and foremost, that it is going to be okay. Um, that's something that I needed to hear early on. Um, and I needed to hear that so that I could then go through the process of grieving and begin. Um, the uncertainty of everything, especially things we don't talk about as a society, money, uh, financial worries, um, organizational worries, uh, death, especially unexpected death. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't plan for anybody. You know, you can plan as much as you want. There's still things that will be, you know, missed or you, there's a password to a laptop or, you know, that you didn't think you would need that, you know, it, unfortunately only your mum has or your parent has and, you know, they're no longer with you. All that stuff, you, you need to initially realise that everything's going to be fine, it's going to be okay and you're going to get through it. And then you need to focus on, actually feeling the emotions as they come, riding them, mm. because it is, at the end of the day, entirely normal. And because we talk about mental health so often in the spectrum of it being something that's wrong or something that's happening that shouldn't happen, if you've got anxiety, it's because you've got an anxiety condition or you've got some kind of problem that your brain's mixed up and it thinks it's in a threatening situation. Well, everything you're feeling in grief is is real it's organic yeah. because it's a terrible situation it's a horrible thing to happen and it may well be one of the worst things to ever happen to you so yeah. you know you're you need to realize that those feelings are are legit and that you need to just go with them experience them when you're angry be angry um you know right. fe feel that anger you have a right to be angry you've lost the person you love um and the same with when you're sad and you're sad you don't want to get out of bed and you know, there will be there will be good times again. I mean, I'm already I'm eight months in, and I've had I can point to four or five lovely memories or experiences I've made with my partner or with friends since my mum died. There will be memories and happy times again, but it just takes time. Yeah, perfectly said. Thank you so much, um, and thank you for coming on and for telling your story and for speaking so well about it. Um, it's brilliant, and you. I can tell you're going to use your grief for good as well. You know, to, obviously this isn't the first time we've spoken openly about it. You you did that article for the Grief Network as well. And I do think that you will be a source of hope for many people, which is a lovely thing to take with you despite such a huge loss. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. It's been, a, it's been great to join you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dead Prank Club podcast. I so hope that you've enjoyed it and you found some comfort in the stories that you've heard here today. As always, I would just like to remind you that neither myself nor any of the guests that come onto the show are healthcare professionals. Therefore, if you do find yourself struggling with your grief, I highly recommend that you seek out professional help, whether that be from your GP or from the numerous charities out there that are available to you. Please also remember that you can reach out to us at any time on Instagram at DPC Podcast 
on Facebook at The Dead Parent Club and you can email us at dbcpodcast at hotmail.com. Alternatively, you can check out our website where a resources page is also available at www.dpcpodcast.co.uk. Also, please don't hesitate to contact me if you want to get involved in the podcast in any way, whether that be coming onto the show or to write a blog for us as well if coming onto a podcast isn't your thing. Thank you so much once again for listening and we'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.